We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The evolution of football and what will be the next big thing. That's what we're talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. He's Sean Siegel. And earlier this week, we talked about some of the big picture things we're talking about or thinking about with respect to sort of how the game of football is evolving, where we're at, what might come up next, you know, if we can even spot what those trends are and, 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 and what we think is actionable for fantasy football. Now we want to talk about some of those trends that we really do believe in and what the players are that we'll be able to target based on those things. So that, that this is the fun episode, certainly. Sean, how are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm excited because you are going to talk about someone that Blair Andrews and I had ranked way above where he should be as a rookie prospect. He fits into one of the ideas you have for what the coming thing is, what the next big thing is in fantasy football. And then I'm excited to get your take on some of these elite running backs. Some of the data that I presented in the first episode suggested that perhaps these bell cow running backs are not going to be as dominant going forward as they've been the last three or four years. I've been having a hard time, Ben, if I don't have the 101 or 102, figuring out who to go to there. Because we also know that there are some elements like single elite running back that's very effective in best ball. Obviously, it can be very effective in your redraft uh, main event. If you're trying to win the big money, we know we want some exposure to the star running back. Now, Blair Andrews and I finished 31st in the main event last year with an extreme zero RB build where we didn't take our first running back until round 11, and most of the running backs we selected were terrible. So we know that that works as well, but I, I think that most listeners are wanting to get a little bit of that exposure, but there are a lot of question marks. I have a, a hard time buying any of the rest of those players because the tight ends, frankly, and the wide receivers are so much stronger. That goes back to our original topic of player ability and how it relates to volume, how it relates to tactics, all of those kinds of things. But Ben, let's start today with this idea of the increased number of passes, the increased completion percentage, and how that affects both depth charts and some of these guys who you might want to target. Let's say you are going a little bit more running back heavy early on. How would we attack that then in terms of some of the sleepers and maybe some of the two and three guys in offenses where you think the overall volume is going to be very high and the completion percentages to these receivers are going to be extremely high? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. We talked 
briefly about this advent of jet motion tip passes. And we've talked about a lot of different players on this, so I'm, I'm not actually sure which one you're thinking of when, when you're referencing someone that you and Blair are both very high on. The one that I immediately think of as an answer to that question is Debo Samuel. I, I think he's a really interesting play from the sense that, you know, people are scared of the health and all of that, but the way that they used him last year in jet motion and on these tip passes, there were games where you literally just got five free receptions for 50 yards. You just got 10 points and they're going to have a hundred percent completion percentage. He's going to catch every one of those passes. And I, I, I think people are sort of not necessarily understanding what that's going to mean for PPR fantasy football. Cause Debo does still get used down the field some, but I, I love Brandon Ayuk, but he, the, the I think that Debo's maybe more secure than Ayuk because of that role, because of how that translates to fantasy points. What What are your thoughts on those receivers? Yeah, Samuel is one of those guys that I had everywhere last year, despite coming back from injury. So, you know, that's a little bit of risk you take. It didn't pan out. I think that his rookie year is being forgotten a little bit, right? For the last eight games, week 10 to week 17, he averaged 16 points per game. And so when we're looking at guys who come out and really score as rookies, and that's one of the reasons that the people like Ayuk is that we know that that's the range that year two where you take this big jump. But I'm looking at his 2020 numbers. You mentioned those underneath passes uh, inside of five yards to the left, 12 out of 12 for 142 yards. Down the middle, eight out of nine, 106 yards. To the right, eight out of 10, 48 yards. I mean, you're, you're talking again about situations where all of those passes are completed. You go back to his rookie season, 13 out of 14 to the left, four for four in the middle, nine for 14 to the right. You're talking about a guy who is going to get a lot of free points, is going to get a lot of points overall, is going to be one of the NFL leaders in terms of yards after the catch. He was number two. In 2019, he was number one in 2020 uh, in terms of pro reception. And he fits perfectly into what they want to do. Obviously, he's a lot less expensive than Ayuk. He's in that range where, I mean, I think it's all upside. You also look at what they might do offensively this year with the rookie quarterback and Trey Lance. What are his skills going to be? And I think there's a strong likelihood that they fit better, at least initially, with Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of one of the big trends, and we didn't talk about it as much on our first episode, but just motion in general. We we've seen the data analysis that shows that just motioning players increases efficiency, and teams seem to be really uh, you know employing that. Even you know talked about the Bills' offense as a, a really great example of a modern offense last year. We saw you know them do it as well. They're they're doing a little bit more shotgun spread, um, using a mobile quarterback along with this ability to to really stretch the field, but they also, you know, mix in Isaiah McKenzie a lot in, in that type of a role. They, they put him in motion and and it stresses the defense in other ways that, that you have to account for him. And every now and then they'll do a little tip pass to him. And that's a player who gets a few of those types of touches, but not, not much else. Debo is not that type of player. He's going to be somebody who gets more than just that. And then, you know, that that's what we're looking for. And then there's other guys that come to mind for me. And, and to just answer your question also on Lance, like, yeah, with his mobility and the fact that they're probably going to be playing on the shotgun, that that motion plays really well into their offense, and, and I would absolutely expect that to continue. But then some other players I'm thinking about with that, I don't know for sure that we'll see it with the Panthers, but Curtis Samuel was used a little bit like that last year. 
He was also used out of the backfield and in some other ways, but he's gone now for Carolina. Some of that stuff will, will fall onto Christian McCaffrey's shoulders now that he's back, but I'm hopeful that we'll see some of that with DJ Moore, who might have been the player you're referencing as we play this guessing game. And another one that might be the next DJ Moore that I actually want to want to bring up, because I think he has a chance to lead all rookies in receptions. Uh, he might have 80-plus catches in year one if he gets this type of role and gets two of these a game and, and adds 30 free receptions. It's Rondell Moore, who's another just huge road of his favorite, obviously, but dominant production profile. People don't want to pick him because he's 5'7". I mean, first of all, he's weight is shown to be more more predictive than than height, and he's you know just built like an absolute machine. Uh, but on on top of that, we know that he's another guy who showed the ability after the catch, showed the ability to break tackles, very similar to Debo in that way. And and the Cardinals are going to run that spread offense, have the mobile quarterback, and also have shown a willingness to try to stress de- stress defenses short or, or the horizontal rate, if you will. But, man, if Rondell Moore gets these jet motion play calls, if that's what they're envisioning when they drafted him and they're just tip-passing to him a couple of times a game to make teams respect that motion and and help free up other things for the rest of their passing game, that alone is going to give him such a boost that, like I said, you can see scenarios where if he's also making some plays down the field, which we expect from him, he had a massive dominator rating as a true freshman at Purdue. Uh, He's the type of player that can do both that we want to target he could have an any catch season right out of right out of the gate. Well, Moore was the guy, and I'm living in abject fear of the first blurb coming out. Wait, which Moore? Rondale or DJ? Rondale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so right, right. So <laughs> to bring in another Moore, right? The other player who hits so many of the things that we'd like to see is Elijah Moore, and you have the news reports from New York that he is dominating in the offseason work and his ADP has jumped as a result. The first time we get that from Rondale, then it's going to be absolute disaster because right now he's one of the best picks in fantasy for those reasons you mentioned. Now, the height comes into play mostly in terms of, or or in a big way, in terms of the red zone touchdown percentage. We are a little bit concerned about touchdowns with the Cardinals wide receivers. We might be concerned with him. Is there this possibility, though, that he actually factors in at the goal line on handoffs on some of these short passes of the variety that you're talking about where the Cardinals are trying to stretch a defense horizontally even down there at the goal line? I think this idea that he breaks out as the second fiddle to Hopkins and that that helps both of those guys this year, that's one of the main themes that I'm playing. It it just seems like so straightforward that that's what's going to happen in Arizona. I love it. I couldn't agree more. The, the, the usage down by the goal line, I think makes a ton of sense. We saw it with Debo last year. I think that's wait. we saw with Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, that's, I mean, just to throw out a guy who was way less prominent, but he had a couple touchdowns last year in close. I think teams like to do that and, and put it on tape and show that they're willing to give the ball. They're not just flashing these motions, but they're actually willing to give the ball to those players. Yeah. McKenzie had five receiving touchdowns last year. I would, I would venture a guess that four of them were caught on on jet motion tip passes, if not all five, caught behind the line of scrimmage on on jet motion tip passes. That's like the perfect place to use them, to to use that that motion. The teams want to use shotgun and spread defenses in close. We talked about that a little bit last last week. I hadn't really considered that specifically with Moore, but the, the Cardinals have had some troubles punching balls into the end zone at times. 
they had to rely on Kyler Murray's legs to do a lot of that last year. And I, they seemed not to like to do that early in the year. I think he had something like nine rushing TDs in the first eight games. And then it really fell off in the second eight games. Maybe that was just natural regression or what have you, but they were really dependent on his playmaking early in the year to convert touchdowns in close. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where this Rondell Moore discussion would make sense. Absolutely. Looking at some of these wide receiving depth charts now where we have a lot of strong players. Again, this idea that the completion percentage is up, the passing is up, the fourth down aggressiveness is up. You're going to have a lot of points to these receivers. You were asking a question that we didn't cover in the first episode about, is it going to be harder to project some of these groups? And then perhaps I think the secondary question would obviously be, can we exploit that in fantasy? Ben, are are you thinking that we should be targeting the less expensive receivers from these groups? Do you have some guys that you really like as a result of that for 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think Debo and Ayuk's a good example. I like them both, and you get a couple round discount uh, on Debo. But there's several examples. I think Laveska Chenault should probably just be getting drafted ahead of DJ Chark. There was we like DJ Chark, but th- there's enough unknown there. He didn't really have a great third season from an efficiency perspective, or or really just overall. He was banged up last year, but he also didn't have a great first season. So we're really kind of leaning on that second season. Uh, meanwhile, Chenault was very good last year. He, he earned targets at a really high rate per route run, had a couple games that were injury shortened, but, and, and his, like a lot of rookies, his targets or his, uh, snaps were starting to, to creep up later in the year, but that's when he got hurt. So we only got a few games after he came back from that injury, but he was very good in those few games late where he was playing a little bit more full time. I think he's just one of the absolute best second year receiver potential breakouts in, you know, in the entire league, people who who have listened to Road of His Overtime will remember that me and me and Pat Crane both gave Lavisca Chenault as our big rookie prediction on a, on a show last year. So I've been a big fan of Chenault since last year, but I, I think this is he, he's in a great spot as a guy who's a little bit cheaper. But the broader th- the broader thing that I'm considering because there's a lot of teams like this. The Dolphins are a team like this. Um, I, I'm going to go the other way from the young player and say that Devontae Parker going third there is a little bit odd to me because. Their offense had very run-heavy games at times last year, but Parker did still have uh, three games, I believe it was, where he had at least 12 targets and 110 receiving yards. He still had these dominant alpha number one games, and we saw the year prior in 2019, he had you know, a huge season, 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, whatever it was, and and two of those really you know target-dominant games came with Tua late last year after the, the quarterback switch, so... I, it wouldn't surprise me if Devontae Parker led that team. I, you know, we're all huge fans of Will Fuller. I love Will Fuller, but he's changing teams. He's coming off a suspension, and he's priced fairly close to where he was last year. Where he was a smash last year, but priced fairly close. And you can get Parker several rounds later, and Waddle in between there. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Parker was the number one. And there's just a lot of these types of of receiving cores now, where we know teams are going to be more wide open. We know they're going to use more receivers. And I think it's challenging to predict sort of where the targets are going to go. Pittsburgh's another example. I, you know, Deontay Johnson dominated the targets last year. He's actually going the highest. Claypool's going in between, but Juju still had 97 catches last year. Had a pretty good, pretty good year as well. You know, Deontay's targets per hour were much stronger. I'm, I'm feeling pretty, pretty comfortable with Deontay. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Juju led that team, came back. That they're talking about using him downfield a little bit more, and not keeping him so shallow this year. So. It's really interesting to consider it sort of like the the committee backfields that we've always, you know, you've always preached for years that we can we can target the cheaper of the two and profit. I mean, we talked about this in the first week. 
And my question is, are we at a point with the wide receivers where we know so many are going to be on the field? Teams are not running these formations they did 10 years ago where they bring in two running backs and they run out of the eye. They have a fullback in there and they have two tight ends on the field and they have one receiver, like a 22 formation. Like that stuff is is gone. So they, that's part of why alpha number one receivers back in the day could could dominate targets. They were running. They're the only receiver running around on, on, on many plays. We don't see that as much in this modern NFL. The the shotgun usage is way up. The spread formation usage is way up. And so if you have two or three receivers running routes and they're relatively close uh, in terms of skill level or expectation, we don't necessarily know who's going to get funneled the ball or whose role is going to be amazing. I mean, again, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, great example of that last year. I, I was very high on DJ Moore in part because I thought he would essentially have Robbie Anderson's role and Robbie Anderson would have DJ Moore's role but the way that that new coaching staff attacked things was different. So our, I, I don't remember a year where I'm less confident in the highest ADP receiver leading the team in targets on so many teams than I than I feel now, than, than I feel this year in 2021. And I feel like that's one of these evolutionary trends that we're seeing. Uh, I, I really want to get your thoughts on that, though. Do you think it is a situation where we should be in those spots taking the discount and, and targeting the cheaper player or because wide receiver skill is so important we should still be really diligent in, in identifying the, the better of the, of the two. I think, and this is one of the, the reasons why fantasy football drafting is fun, that it does depend on the situation, right? And so when we look at a team like the Cowboys or the Bengals where the receivers are very expensive, it's going to give us a different set of questions than a, a team like the, the Dolphins that you mentioned, where all of those guys are very inexpensive. And so I think that Will Fuller becomes even a more exciting play when we know we're getting him that inexpensively. Now, you're going to miss week one. You have that week 14 buy, which could be one of the things that's knocking down his ADP, depending on your format, if that buy is going to give you some trouble. But I think that the elite guy tends to carve out the role and has the safest role, even though we know that once you get into this spread formation where you have the three receivers, that the moat becomes a lot narrower for all of the guys in terms of being able to carve out, like you say, that, that really large role. But I think it makes it more likely that they stay. So you look at the Panthers last year. I think that Curtis Samuel was the guy who, if we were to play the season again, is going to be the one who struggles to maintain what he did because his role is not as good of a role and he's probably a lesser player. But if you don't think that, then he's a great pick because maybe he carves in even more to Robbie Anderson. So I think it does go back to how you evaluate the players. But the other then interesting question, and Devin McIntyre of the Solis Report has done a lot of cool research on this, is that we do have wide receiver injuries that come into play. You know, we, we talk so much about running back injuries and how that allows the number two to then be an effective zero RB player. At the wide receiver position, it's less allowing some wide receiver to come out of nowhere and be effective, which again comes back to our, our sort of structural approach to this, but it's more what it can do for the star. So if we have one of these three wide receiver groups and one of the guys goes down, then the other two players are going to be potentially smash guys. And so I think that getting some exposure to some of those offenses, especially if all of the guys are being knocked down in ADP a little bit, because people understand if it's split three ways, that could be a problem. I think we want to have exposure to them. And I especially think we want to have exposure to them if we're actually not expecting the tight end to take a big share 
if we're not expecting the running back within that offense to take a big share because then we have multiple things kind of stacked in our favor to where we like the guy ADP we like the best talent in the offense to potentially show that throughout the course of the season but then we also have the potential for one of those guys to go down and become more of a two receiver offense in terms of the target concentration and then we have some players who are going to really destroy ADP yeah I love targeting those situations because even if they all stay healthy, I mean, I, I I'm thinking about the, the, the Bengals, as you noted, and the, and the Cowboys, these are good players. And I, I think all the Bengals receivers are going to be good regardless, but if one goes down, then the other two are going to be amazing. I mean, I, like, like you said, I think that's the exact way to be thinking about it. What, what can happen when, when chaos hits and, and those guys, you know, to get back to our topic of, of week one are going to be pushed down a little bit by the lack of projectable volume and, I, I, you know, if you envision a scenario where one of those Bengals receivers wasn't there, the other two would probably both be going a couple of rounds higher because you would project them both to have significantly more volume. So, yeah, knowing that upside is there is very, very important. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021 we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So as we jump into running backs, uh, one thing that I've been thinking about that is sort of a broad trend that I, I was thinking about before 2020, I think was probably influenced more in 2020 by the pandemic, by some, you know, some changes in, in the schedules and things. But ever since, you know, concussions and, and player safety have, have become at least a little bit more of a focus in the NFL, still probably don't do uh, as great of a job <laughs> with player safety as they should. But I think long-term health has become more of a focus for the players themselves and the teams than, than maybe it had been 10 years ago and certainly 20, 30 years ago. And, and so I had this thought that and have had this thought even before 2020 that players seem to be missing more, you know, even just one and two game stints throughout seasons. And and as I was sort of looking at it, I was interested to see that last year, Derrick Henry was the only running back in the entire NFL who had over 200 carries and played 16 games. Um, there were obviously a lot of other, other players who had had good volume. The overall sort of high, high carry uh, seasons were down a little bit, but I think it's interesting in that it, it lends itself toward obviously our, our sort of one of our favorite strategies, zero RB, where if you know that guys are going to miss even just a game or two, they're still going to be very good when they play, but it, it creates a lot of spot start opportunities. It felt like in, you know, in DFS last year, every week there was a running back out and an opportunity to start somebody. And there was a lot of opportunities on the waiver wire, um, whether to pick players up or, or you, you know, hopefully had some of these backups stashed, but if we're going to get more sort of one-off usable weeks out of backups, even in best ball, you know, later round picks that right now they feel like strict backups, but we can maybe expect, especially as we go to a 17-game season, that we we can maybe expect that, that running backs will get a week or two off and then their backups are going to get full workloads. That, that really lends itself to being more favorable to building a, a you know to, to something like zero rb where you build a running back crew out of more late round players i'm curious if you've like noticed similar or if you feel like that is sort of where we're heading from the big picture perspective yeah and you mentioned derrick henry i mentioned in the first show that we're in this sort of steep decline in terms of running backs who are 200 carry 50 reception guys last season it was just just david montgomery and ezekiel elliott the two guys that's the lowest number this century outside of 2015, which was obviously Devontae Freeman and the running back Apocalypse. Also mentioned that last the last two seasons, we've jumped back up in terms of the RB1 getting their fantasy points percentage-wise from carries, which isn't overall negative for the way the, the position scores at the top end. So you mentioned these running back injuries. One of the things that's crazy is you pull up the best ball win rate explorer, you can see that the top picks have actually returned a terrible win rate over the last several years because injuries have been so high at the running back position. That really follows research that Josh had back um, several years ago on Rotobiz about injuries to the really bell cow backs. So it's not just that running back is – a position that has more injuries is that these guys who are the most valuable are also at the most risk for us. I think with an extra game, it just creates even more damage for 
the position and more threat to you as a fantasy owner when you think in terms of what the situation is going to be with the fantasy playoffs. So I do think that we're going to have more of these individual spot starts where you do have guys who are viable and exciting as the backup. That's one of the things that we've always kind of looked at with zero RB. It's not just the injuries, but the backups who are very good. And I think that these backups with really high talent levels are exciting picks for 2021 and are not necessarily that expensive because people in, in some ways are trying to avoid taking them in this range that they've been told that it's bad to take running backs in. But how much of it is overall spot starts and how much of it would you be concerned about the guys who are going to be available to you at the most important time of the season? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge element of it, right? And if we're concerned that there's not going to be a lot of these high volume running backs that can play 17 games, that's, that's where we start to see some guys fall off sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, when I, when I mentioned that note that there were only, there was only Derrick Henry who ran at least 200 times and, and played all 16 games. There were other backs who played 16 games. There were a lot of other ones, but they're all rotational guys, guys who were active, you know, active in their offenses, uh, Devin Singletary, even Adrian Peterson, you know, I'm looking at the, the list of points scored here. Adrian Peterson played in all 16 games last year, but that's in part because he wasn't being asked to, to carry such a heavy load. And, you know, Naheem Hines, those types of guys, Gus Edwards that, yeah, there's backs that can do it, but, the ones that are that are going to carry a huge part of their offense and then when they're out open up a huge opportunity are less likely to do it it seems and and that could be very very damaging in, in the biggest parts of the season to to kind of focus on some specific players this is one of the reasons I've really liked Daryl Henderson uh, a guy who's being drafted a lot but I think there's also players that aren't even really being drafted in a lot of leagues you know I, I know you love Chuba Chuba Hubbard or Chuba or whatever his name is. Um, and, and he's an interesting one behind Christian McCaffrey. The team I just projected the other day was Cincinnati. Everybody is over the moon about Joe Mixon because he doesn't have any competition. But at the same time, if he misses time and he has missed time traditionally, probably somebody behind him is going to be, you know, be good. It was Samaje Pirine down the stretch last year. They drafted uh, Chris Evans, but uh, you know, a day three pick that I, I kind of think Pirine might be a guy who's not even being drafted who we might end up seeing have a couple starts this year and be be good. I mean, there's players like that that if you do zero RB or if you build a, a best ball team um, certain ways, you can take those guys in the last round for free. And there's certainly scenarios where Samaje Pirine has not even just a couple of good spot starts, but a, a, a good stretch for the Bengals for all the reasons that people are excited about Joe Mixon. So there's some of these teams where we're not even drafting backups. There, there, there's a running back, uh, a backup running back not even being taken where there's some opportunity, I think. You mentioned those guys, and, and Pirine just seems like a, a no-brainer, and yet when you're trying to put your team together, it's a little bit tricky to figure out you know, where you would slide him in. And so I think that reinforces this idea. People say all the time that wide receiver is deep. We have JJ for the third show. Uh, we've chatted with him. We, we know what he's going to say. He's going to make the point that maybe wide receiver – uh, isn't as deep as it seems, which is one of the things I go back to. But the flip side of that for me is that running back is always incredibly deep in a way that people don't conceptualize or don't believe in or don't assess the right importance to before the season starts. The flip side of that is, you know, what do we do with these star running backs? And we know there's so much great research on 
the value of having exposure to a guy who could score big, right? Last year, if you didn't have Alvin Kamara on your tournament team, then you probably weren't factoring into the mix in that final weekend. And I have an article on Rotoviz from approximately that time talking about how the wide receivers actually score better for the fantasy playoffs than people realize. And that's one reason why you also need a lot of exposure to them. But if we're looking at these top guys, we're looking at some of these trends where maybe the bell cow element is now overstated. What do we do, Ben, in the first round? Because I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the fact that it's a real reminder that we don't know how the season's going to play out, that the win rates in the middle of drafts have been so high and the win rates in those first two, three picks have been so low. And so you think to yourself, okay, well, if I have a middle pick, that, that should be fine. I don't know how the season's going to play out. There are some guys with some talent here. But when I'm looking at the profile of the running backs being drafted in the middle of the first round, I'm having some problems. Yeah, I think it's a tough year for that. I mean, we we love Jonathan Taylor. I love Jonathan Taylor as a player. He was a very fun pick last year. But now he's going sixth overall, and I think there's legitimate reason to be concerned, not just about Naheem Hines generally, but um, the impact of losing Phillip Rivers, who throughout his career was always great for running back receptions and was a big reason that I loved Jonathan Taylor last year. And, and one of my very specific arguments was I thought he had a better chance to catch 30 passes than people realized. No one, Everyone said he, he wasn't going to be able to catch passes, and he, and he did eclipse that number. And I think that was really helpful to his profile, obviously. Now, he's a guy that – I don't mind taking because he has the potential to just be a superstar. There are a lot of players in that class. Obviously, Derrick Henry, obviously uh, Nick Chubb is, is uh, those are the ones that come up a lot more. If they're not getting their receptions, it has such an impact on their ceiling. And I'm trying to find some research I've done before. Essentially like Derrick Henry was great last year. Here it is. Uh, was great last year for his type of player. He's as good as he could have possibly been. He ran for 2000 yards and whatever it was, 19 touchdowns. He averaged 20.9 PPR points per game. Now, this is going to be very specific to PPR. Dalvin Cook was at 24.1. There's a pretty big difference between being at 20 to 21 PPR points per game and 24.1. And Alvin Kamara was up at 25.2. And to get to that 24, 25 point per game range, you have to catch passes. You have to catch some number of passes. And, and likely you have to catch a lot of passes. Likely you need to be in the 60 catch. Obviously, the, the more and more balls you're catching, the better and better you're going to be towards you know building out that sort of dual threat um, potential. And it's a big reason I was on Kamara last year in the middle of round one when he was slipping in some drafts early on. It's a big reason that we were on Christian McCaffrey the year before. You were on Christian McCaffrey big time, you know, even from when he came out. And it's a, it's a big reason. Something we talk about all the time is high value touches is the stat that I've used in, in stealing signals for years to talk about that, that that combination of receptions and then also getting the goal line work. The, the low value touches, all those extra carries and in between the 20s, they, they matter. They help to just compile points. But if that's your whole profile, you're, you're not going to have that 25 PPR point per game upside. And just to, to the, the, the data I was referencing, to jump back to prior years, in 2019, Christian McCaffrey had 29.3 PPR points per game. Cook was next at 21.2. Henry was 20.0, had another great year that year. Uh, 2018, you had Todd Gurley at 26.3, Saquon at 24, CMC at 23.8, Kamara 23.2. You had four more guys over 20. 2018 was a good year for, for running backs hitting 20-plus PPR points per game. But 2017, Gurley at 25.8, Le'Veon Bell at 23, Zeke 
back then was another guy who didn't have enough receiving. He was at 20.5, even though he was very, very good. People love taking Zeke in the top three back then and, and still do, but he was down at 20.5, not up at 23, 25 like Gurley and Bell. And Gurley did have the receiving, just for anyone who, who was thinking of him last year as more of a between-the-tackles plotter. He used to have some pretty strong receiving lines. And then go back uh, one more year to, to Le'Veon Bell, 26.5 points per game. David Johnson, 25.7. Zeke, 21.8. Very good year from Zeke, but still, 21.8 is not a season-defining year. That's your first-round pick. He was still very good. You didn't lose your league necessarily with that pick, but you, what what Sean is saying and, and what I firmly agree with and believe, and it's this concept of high-value touches and everything, if you're going to take on the risk of the running back in that range, you need to have him – you need to, to understand that he has at least 23 points per game, I think, upside, but probably this 25 points per game upside. is potential to be an absolute season-defining player because if he isn't, then you can survive not taking him. You can survive not taking Zeke in those uh, those years, and you could survive not taking Henry last year. I, I had a very good year. I didn't take him anywhere. I, it sucks that he's really good and, and, and I don't have him on any teams, but he's better in real life than he actually is in the data you know, multiple full points per game, three plus points per game behind Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, who were the more must-have players, particularly because, or, or even even despite, I should say, Derrick Henry rushing for two thousand yards. That is such a rare thing for a running back to do. We may never see it again, frankly, in the NFL. Surely we will, but and I guess especially with seventeen-game seasons, we will. But it, it's the kind of thing that we're getting away from guys like Henry getting as many carries as he's got, as, as much rushing as he as he was able to produce. He still wasn't even close to those guys. So the, the ones this year that you're targeting, I mean, I'm looking at players that 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 can combine those two elements, and the receiving is so huge. I mean, I, I just mentioned Mixon. With Gio not there, it's hard not to to project him for a ton of receiving. So he's at least a little interesting. But the, the two that are are really, really interesting to me are Antonio Gibson, who we know has that ability, and we saw J.D. McKissick get a ton of receiving work, and if that rotates over to Gibson, I, I think he could just be an absolute smash. And and it's the same offense that used Christian McCaffrey in those ways. And then Austin Eckler, it's a really great offense for the Chargers. We know he's going to catch a ton of passes. When he came back from injury last year, had a, a really strong rate of receptions, and, and a, it, it, I think it was like something like six to seven receptions per game in his final few games and about 90 yards from scrimmage. And so we had like this 15-point floor, basically, before even you, you consider touchdowns. Now, we don't know that he's going to get the touchdown side of the high-value touches. That was the tricky thing for him. But if, if he starts to get more goal line work and get some more touchdowns, that's a guy that can put up 25 points per game. I mean, I, I genuinely think that, that Eckler can do that in a way that Derrick Henry can't. He frankly cannot do that. He cannot do any better than he's done these past couple of years. And you, you mentioned Cook. I mean, Cook is another guy who – is really actually right on that range where I think that Cook, Henry, and Chubb are the three most talented pure runners in football. And Cook is the one who brings a little bit more of that receiving upside, but he still has is on the edge in terms of when we look at Derrick Henry having almost the perfect season, we're thinking, you know, Dalvin Cook in many ways, you know, also very close to sort of his perfect season. You look at some of the other guys, you mentioned Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, he in that range for a while was was kind of there but i mean i think of all of the times that i've taken david johnson Le'Veon bell when maybe it no longer made sense simply to have some exposure to the one profile that really is a game changer and we know how hard it is when you're chasing the profile or the age or the explosiveness that that isn't there 
anymore. And so you mentioned Eckler. Eckler is a guy very expensive. Uh, a lot of people like him to emerge in that offense. It'll be interesting to see if he can get just the overall type of of work, you know, those those rush element touches. It's interesting because I went back through in preparation of this, looking at the the run pass for these RB1s. And you have Eckler as the guy who really jumps in there as just the extreme skew to the pass side. You know, can he get the running back touches or the rush touches to get up there? Gibson is a no-brainer, right? If, if you think that he can take even a little bit of the next step as an NFL running back, you need to have exposure to him. What about a few of these other guys? I, I actually like the risk. I mean, basically the idea of drafting a running back early is taking a shot right? I mean, it's, it's not the percentage play in a lot of ways. I mean, most of these guys are going to hurt your team, but you're also thinking, well, I want to have some exposure to guys who could win it for me. What about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who looked terrible last season, um, or DeAndre Swift, who the concerns we have there are a little bit like Eckler, where he's actually not going to get the low value portion of it. But if he stumbles into just a little bit of that, and the offense is slightly better than people think, then are these guys that, I mean, I could almost make an argument for some of them ahead of the big names. And obviously we don't have to take them there. We can take them uh, at a spot that's still expensive, but second, or maybe that second, third round term. Yeah. Swift is a tricky one. And I'm going to just completely agree with you on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Swift is one that I've struggled with more or less for the reasons you said, we don't know how good the offense is going to be. And, and I have looked at team high value touches a lot. And I, I think it's fairly important that the running back to have that type of upside, that the, the team has to be able to generate touches inside the 10 yard line. We do know that that running backs on bad teams from the great Ryan Collinsworth work that you, that you referenced this week already, that, that teams on, on really bad offenses or running backs on really bad offenses, if they're getting all the, all the work can, can be very good. And, and they might tend to catch more passes because their teams are going to trail and, and that could be a really great, a great setup for DeAndre Swift, and he do, is running behind a good offensive line. So, like the, the idea that their offense could be maybe a little better than expected, I think is sort of necessary, but would be would be great. And he does like he very clearly showed the the dynamism, the explosiveness that you've always loved ever since you know the, Jamal Charles. Ever since I've, I've read you, I, I know that you've been very aware that that type of player can also increase this the ceiling as well. So. Swift is a tricky one for me because of the offense specifically, but he was very good last year and good in the passing game in a way that you you have to think that there's there's there are paths to a ceiling. Now, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the one that I, I I tend to agree with more more quickly. Nothing has changed, and he was going in the first round last year, and I I got exposure because I wanted to make sure in that offense that will generate high value touches and with his receiving profile that I had exposure to that that profile that that upside scenario and he caught a lot of passes last year one thing i was a little concerned about was their their running back target rate because mahomes can push the ball downfield and they can be so efficient throwing to the receivers and tight ends do they even need to throw to the running backs but he actually had a good receiving season in year one and was at times a very efficient runner as well just didn't get a lot of touchdowns wasn't great at the goal line we know that stuff is not very predictive year over year they're gonna generate running back goal line touches and didn't add anyone else they lost Le'Veon bell I mean, I think Daryl Williams is a, is a pretty smash pick later as well. But this, yeah, for all the reasons we like Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round last year, he's still that player. He just wasn't great in year one. He disappointed a lot of people, and then they don't want him the next year. And yet, a rookie stumbling a little bit, but having a pretty good year, and then being really good in year two, would that be crazy? No. No, and, and one of the best picks that I've had 
uh, with Melvin Gordon going in to year two. One of the things that we like to do with the running back is to take these rookies who disappointed in part maybe because they were set up to fail or set up with expectations that they couldn't hit. If you have a big time talent, then you want to go back to the well there. Now, we're in a very different environment. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is much more expensive than Melvin Gordon was going into year two. So it's a, it's a different question at the same time when we're talking about creating exposure in this sort of contingency-based drafting, then I think we want to have a little bit there. Zach Moss is maybe a guy who isn't at the talent level of a Melvin Gordon. And yet at the same time, when we're looking at kind of his profile, how things work out, the fact that he seems to be punished just for the fact that he wasn't what people thought he was going to be last season when it wasn't realistic last season. Right. And so we have some guys like that we can look to. One of the things that I like about 2021 is that there are different ways to approach it. I'm going even heavier with some zero running back teams because I think it's set up that way for most draft positions. One of the main things we talked about last year was that if you have a pick in the bottom third of the draft, you're giving up hundreds of points by starting running back, running back instead of wide receiver, wide receiver. You need to know how and what you're doing after that to make that work. But we want to make sure we're getting exposure to the best players and then getting exposure to the right running back profiles at the right prices. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm just looking down a little further down running back list. Another couple players that I like that are actually going, you know, in the running back dead zone where I typically won't take running backs. But the work that I originally did on the running back dead zone, the way that I looked at it was looking for ceiling. I looked at um, a total points cutoff, very high one points per game cutoff that I believe was 25 points per game, the number I just mentioned, or or maybe just below that. And, and you had to have played at least eight or 10 games. I can't recall. I wrote this a couple of years ago. Uh, and then I had a third cutoff that was very high, but for players who absolutely dominated in the fantasy playoffs, I wanted to include them because we, we want to know where those guys come from too, even if they didn't reach the other thresholds where their full season points per game or their um, overall total point points were high enough um, if they were really, really good over the, the 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 fancy playoff weeks. Those late season hammers are are important. And the cohort that I built was a 10-year study, and it was, I believe it was like 25, 26 players, something like that. It was like two and a half players per year, which is to say, you know, the, the very best of the best running back seasons, a couple per season. The ones in the, the, the whole point of what I was, when I looked at it this way that I was talking about with the running back dead zone was, there are players there that can give you small wins, but you're not going to hit home runs there. But the ones that did hit from there were young players. They were almost exclusively either rookies or second-year breakouts that did nothing as a rookie. Uh, I believe Ray Rice fell into that category. So I, when I look at the dead zone, if I'm even considering looking at the dead zone, it's guys like Travis Etienne and Javante Williams, who are the two that I'm looking at right now and saying, especially if some you know if something were to happen we, we have to be you know we, we don't wish injuries but we have to be willing to to discuss that that injuries occur if something were to happen to james robinson when they're already talking about using travis Etienne in this big you know receiving role yeah we know carlos hyde is there as well but there are scenarios where he could wind up in a much bigger uh, a bigger opportunity share than we're actually seeing right now and he's going he's still going pretty high but late later than um he would be going if it weren't for the presence of James Robinson and Carlos Hyde, which is, is very clearly pushing down his ADP. Um, and so you can start to, to imagine some upside there. Javante Williams, I think is a little bit easier to imagine because Melvin Gordon is getting 
on an age and, um, you know, might not even be with the team, but uh, also, you know, not always the healthiest player and things like that. So Javante Williams could wind up in a scenario where he's seeing, you know, all the touches in a, in a backfield on a team that has very good receivers. Quarterback play is going to be still a little bit of a a shaky thing unless they, they land Aaron Rodgers, but you don't think he's going to be the, the focus of defenses or anything like that. So he's a guy that I've taken some stabs at as well. I, th- I think those two guys are perfect. They're also the players I'm targeting, perhaps not a surprise. I think that we talk about what's the next thing and how can we get ahead of trends. That's our question for the week. I think this idea of a lot of owners trying to get that first round running back or the running back running back and then go heavy onto wide receivers. They're trying to avoid that dead zone. I think that it's making ETN and Williams less expensive than they would be in other years. And that's kind of what we're trying to find, right? Most of the running backs in 2021 who matter, I mean, there there are some guys who are getting less expensive, perhaps who are not exciting as people are starting to realize, okay, exposure to those players isn't as good. But among running backs who matter, I think that ETN and Williams, you could argue are less expensive than they would historically be while everybody else is more expensive. And so I think that you have to look at creating some exposure to those guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, anything else that, that we need to hit on? Ben, we've got hours more we could go here. I think that better wrap us up for today on this topic, talking about the next thing in fantasy football, the evolution of the NFL. Make sure you tune in for show three uh, we have J.J. Zachariasen on the show. We've already recorded with him, so we know how good he's going to be, even if we hadn't. Obviously, everybody would know how good J.J. Uh, is. Stay tuned for that. I'm Sean Siegel. You can follow me on Twitter, at FF underscore Contrarian, if you like to just have a, a quiet one out there. My co-host is Ben Gretsch. You can follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. We had a number of those last week. Really appreciate those early reviews. As I mentioned, we will have a contest for that in the short term. Always appreciate it.